Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. How's everybody doing? So, better yeah, better than good. me. Better than me, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's a low bar, Amos. I, I feel really bad for you. <laughs> I do, too. Every morning when I look in the mirror, I feel really bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, do, we do have a very special podcast today. Uh, haven't done one of these in a long time. Yeah. And uh, we're we're happy to uh, welcome to the show, friend of the show, Elixir programmer extraordinaire, uh, fast food gourmand, um, <laughs> Mitch Hamburg. Hey, thanks for having me. Feels good to be here. We only had to schedule this like eighteen times. <laughs> yeah, very busy. It's the summer. It is the summer. Yeah, like. We'd schedule it, cancel, schedule and cancel. Somebody would cancel. Somebody would get COVID. Somebody else would get COVID. That was you. Mitch had COVID too. Yep. Vacation, work trip, COVID. Yeah. COVID, vacation, work trip. <laughs> yep. That's, I don't know. I'm, so uh, if I'm quiet today, it's because I'm, I'm coughing a lot and the editors just edited me completely out of the podcast. <laughs> I assume that's code for you're just in awe of everything that Sean and I are saying, and you're just letting it all sink in. That's that's probably true too. That's really <laughs> true. When you when you get in a room with people that are way smarter than you, sometimes you just need to shut up and get out of the way. Oh, let me know when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, so you're gonna have to be quiet been... today. Then that's what I'm saying. <laughs> no, okay, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be quiet. Uh, you know, totally totally out of my league here. <laughs> You've been you've been busy lately, Mitch. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, uh, I just had a lot of kind of elixiry side projects and thoughts and experiments lately. Been hitting the blogosphere a little harder than usual. Does that still exist? The blogosphere? Uh, Is that a thing? I hope so. I'm hitting it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've just got like a bunch of things going on and wrote a couple blog posts. One did pretty well. I think a lot of people enjoyed it and I enjoyed that uh I enjoyed that people were learning stuff. What but was I wrote it? one on uh, I wrote the comprehensive guide to Elixir's list comprehension. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um ching. I I really I came up with the title first and then I was like, okay, now I gotta fill in the the body with something. <laughs> That's that's how you write conference talks too, right? It's it works just the same for blog posts. <laughs> yep. If you get a catchy title, you can get that past a lot of uh, reviewers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to think of the next one I'm going to write, but is it Proclib? It could be. It could be. I was going to do one on protocols, but I was trying to think of something that start with a P to rhyme with it. I was thinking like the protocol compendium or something like that, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's the list comprehension was a great thing to write about because it was like, it was really, it just like was the perfect size that I could literally blog. I could write about literally every facet of the list comprehension and not have it be just astronomical. So like I, yeah. like if I were to write about, I think some people like I had, I had, uh, you know, sent, sent out a request into the the ether of, you know, blog post ideas and, I got quite a few people saying, like, oh, write it, write like a comprehensive guide on macros. And I was like, well, 
I think that would probably be like Chris McCord wrote a book on macros and it's literally like a hundred pages long and that's just like an express prag prog book. So it'd be pretty, it'd be, be a hefty guide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And what was some of the most in- interesting feedback you got about your comprehensions blog post? Oh yeah. There was, there was some stuff that, uh, kind of surprised me like i mean i obviously i mean I, I just wrote a giant guide on it so i know a lot about about them but but there were some features of them that i was surprised that some people were learning for the first time and then like uh i think it was just like the reduce option um mm-hmm. i think some people just hadn't hadn't really seen that before mm-hmm. but i think some of the i i just really appreciate about this that it was like no matter who was reading it like in the community and like everyone was like learning something. And I think that it just has to, has to do with um, like, it's just such a powerful construct in the language and definitely got some feedback on uh, <laughs> some people that, you know, read it and learned something new and are like, yeah, I'm still never going to use one, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this comprehension is so powerful. I can't imagine like not being able to use one. Mm-hmm. I think people are kind of addicted to pipes, though, right? It, it, was that the main objection you had that that people gave you? Uh, no, I think it's just. Um, it, I think it's mostly that they're just so terse that, mm-hmm. and it's like it's an imperative-looking concept in a functional programming language, right? So it looks like a for loop. So I think there's some 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 people that haven't like learned more about them, like might not realize like well Erlang has a list comprehension, yeah. right? And as far as like Haskell does too. And you can't really get more like functional programming than Haskell. Well I guess Lisp probably, but um Lisp you can kind of do anything. So I assume there's a four comprehension <laughs> in there somewhere. I'm sure um, there is. If not, you could write one pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's just it's just so that's kind of what I like about it. It's just like so terse and you can really just pack up. I mean, I think some, that's where some people call it like, like the, they call it clever code, like as like the mm-hmm. pejorative, right? But that's that's kind of like what I like about it, and that you can like manipulate a bunch of data in a very usually efficient manner with very few lines of code. And part of the like, I mean, I obviously think it's really powerful, and just through my my you know last couple couple jobs doing code reviews and like reading like i'd see people sometimes write like these you know enumerable pipelines right where they'd say like you know my list pipe into map pipe into filter pipe into map again pipe into reject uh Mm -hmm. maybe maybe do a reduce somewhere and um you know typically the feedback there is you know like oh you can you can kind of like flip some of these around or combine them and stuff and and generally I find it just like a, a quick optimization is that you can combine a map and a filter mm. operation into like a single, I think, uh, you know, l- like linear time or, you know, you don't have to loop, loop through the list twice. You can just kind of do it once mm-hmm. um, right. with a, with a comprehension rather than, you know, looping through your whole list and then looping through it again to filter everything out. Um, that's generally the, the thing I can, you know, suggesting a code review because that's, that's kind of what you see most often. 
But and you can also do other kind of like cool things. Like uh, I think it's mostly probably my. I mean, I have all this knowledge on the comprehension, but I don't really know anything about uh, like Erlang records or like mm-hmm. I've never really used Def Record or anything. But in some code at work, there was this like weird looking code that used. I think we use CacheX, and then that uses some like records. I think in there, and then I think that's maybe you can do this with a like enum.h too. But there was just some like like I, I think it was the left hand side of the of the generator is like the the record thing because it's kind of right. like a macro thing that kind of expands mm-hmm. it. But is that because CacheX was putting them in ETS tables? I assume so. This is my okay. this is my first. Uh, exposure to CacheX, so um yeah, yeah i think i think that's the case though well i just like that's, that's cool if you've ever had to write something that has multiple inputs and you want the permutations of all of those like mm-hmm. that's that's a pain to do any other way like it's just so i don't know I, elegant might be the right word i hate using that when it comes to code <laughs> because it's super opinionated but I yeah, don't know. You, like, like I just, you know, if somebody told me to that I had to use enum module to write permutations, I'd have to take that sign off your wall back there <laughs> that says "Hold on to your butts" and just <laughs> hand it to them. Exactly. Yeah, I've got a button that just mails that to people when when I'm about to rock their world. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I liked your comment about uh, you know the, the the chains of innumerable uh, calls like map filter map stuff because I, I think. In a lot of cases in my previous work, I've seen those sorts of pipelines. And um, if I were writing it, I'd sometimes go, okay, well, what's the output of this phase? And have to think about it very explicitly mm-hmm. and, and make sure that the next operation I did in the pipeline, you know, handled the format of the output of the previous phase correctly. Otherwise, like you could come out with you know, if your filter was set up wrong, you could come out with no elements when you should have, you know, 80% of them or something because you did a pattern match wrong or, or you mm-hmm. know, or whatever. So, uh, but having, having the for loop, um, the, the, I say for loop, sorry, I haven't <laughs> been programming Elixir a lot lately. Uh, the for comprehension, uh, like lets you make that a lot more explicit and, um, like you said, clever code, like you could, you could probably do less clever code. Um, and uh, I, I actually find it really interesting how the list comprehension compiles down. Uh, I don't know if you... I haven't looked at uh, that. Listeners, if you, if you have this, if you don't have this, you need to get this. Um, Michal Muscala's um, library decompile. Mm, it's beautiful. It is amazing tool. Uh, I love it. In fact, it helped me find bugs in the Elixir compiler. Um, wow. But... Um, you can you can compile you can uh, take your you know compiled Elixir file and have it decompile to Erlang or to Core Erlang or to Beam Assembly, and uh, I've most used it to translate to Erlang to see what the compiler, the Elixir compiler is doing, like how it's expanding particular things, and most of the time the four comprehensions expand out to a enum reduce, and like. The things that are in the generators, like get stuffed inside the the callback function, um, you know, the the reducer function, uh, and it, it's it's super interesting. So I recommend people look at that. I'm gonna have to go check that out. I haven't, I haven't, I've compiled stuff down to the to the Beam ASM 
and mm-hmm. and looked at that. And there's some pretty interesting things there with like argument order and and all kinds of stuff. But I had not I had not tried to hit that intermediary. I'm gonna have to play with that with the for loop. The feedback that I've gotten for I see I called it a for loop now. Look what you did to me. <laughs> uh, I ruined you, Amos. The <laughs> feedback that I've gotten on on comprehensions versus using like enum is that with enum people are like, well, it's really easy to change it to a stream or to change it to flow. So you get, you get that benefit. Um, but I find that often, yeah, it gets hard to read. Mm-hmm. Like the other one is like the, the comprehension often feels, uh, what is my, my wife is an English teacher. She always says, uh, um, be concise and I feel like the comprehension is, is way more concise most of the time. Like I can, after I got used to the syntax, which didn't take that long, it is a lot of times just a lot simpler code to read and to comprehend. Comprehend, exactly. Comprehend the comprehension, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I totally agree. Um, and even just in the like first sentence of the article I wrote, I said, uh, the list comprehension is a construct designed for concise and powerful enumerable transformation. So I think concise is kind of the, the perfect word, perfect word for it. Mm-hmm. He remembered that right off the top of his head for anybody who's just curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There, I remember encouraging some coworkers um, when we were doing Erlang to convert to comprehensions on a lot of things too. Cause mm-hmm. you know, in, I don't remember what release they were added um, to OTP into the Erlang compiler, but um, there's a lot of legacy code um, where people would like, like in some of the examples in your article where people will, will do recursion um, instead and they'll, you know, pull something off the head of the list mm-hmm. um, and then recurse into the tail. Um, or they might have, um, two intermediate values going and like flipping between different clauses of the same function and recursion. And it gets really hard to follow. Um, and I think the same, the same thing can be said for a lot of, of those innumerable, uh, chains, um, is that, you know, if it's not completely clear what's happening in every step, um, and what the overall goal is, you know, if you can turn that into a, a four comprehension that, that clears up a lot of things and your intent that overall goal is that like, that's the thing that yeah. I notice with a comprehension. Like I know what the final output is like what you're after and with the filter and map and reduce and all of that, when there's a big chain of those, I can't tell without like sitting down with a pencil and paper. Cause that's how I like to work. I don't type it. I like sit down with a pencil and paper and write every step down or throw some data through it and like, have it inspected or, or whatever, but mm-hmm. yeah, I'll say, um, with these like long, I mean, even pipelines of anything or like, uh, these innumerable pipelines we were talking about, um, Sean, you might be familiar with this cause I think you've been writing a lot of rust recently. Right. But, um, I think so this might transition us a little bit, but the, with rust, there's the rust analyzer, which is their like language mm-hmm. server protocol implementation. And, um, it has this, which I think is now actually part of the full language server protocol, but it's called inlay hints, I think. And mm-hmm. like, so I think when you're, you're writing your code, right? Like if you have a big 
uh, also, I don't really know a lot about Rust, so uh, might might sound, say things that sound silly, but uh, in your big like dot chain of of function calls, right, it'll show you a little type hint of like what um, kind of value you're operating on at that point in the yeah. in the type in the dot chain, right? Um, I'm not sure exactly how possible this would be. It, it honestly, it might become more possible with. Uh, like Quinn is working on that type macro kind of prototype thing, or the the I'm gonna butcher this, but the theoretic set typing that Jose is funding, um, that sort of type information might uh, make this a little easier. But um, with the Elixir language server, which I'm just I'm just fascinated with because I I find it really useful and I like talking about it and showing it to people. I feel like we could get like maybe a similar thing of like these like type hints on these like uh, whenever it sees a pipe operator, you know, it can like on that line show you like what it thinks the the data type of whatever you're working on is like or the structure. I think that's another thing with like Elixir just being not typeless. We have types. There's dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. Right. But we work same thing with like JavaScript work with a lot of just like maps, right? Like just key value stores that don't aren't really like structs. But sometimes it's hard to know like what like oh this is a, a list. Like what is the shape of this thing in there at this time? So um especially sometimes, you know, people will you'll have your 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 pipe chain of of things and eventually it'll pipe into something called like do handle. Yeah. Or like or like do uh-huh. like those are the worst. Yeah, it's like it's like you've got your um You've got your, uh, I, th- I think we have some at, at work and some Phoenix channel stuff that, you know, they'll be like your handle in callback. And then inside that, you just immediately de- delegate to do handle in. And then, or, or, or you'll pipe it into like, uh, like, and this is where like some of the, the pattern matching function heads gets a little confusing. I think that you're kind of referring to, but like it might say like, maybe do <laughs> that. It's like if, yes. if this thing you're piping yep. to its nail, it's not going to do anything or it's going to pass it through or whatever. Handle um, input. Yeah. I've written Handle hundreds result. of maybe functions <laughs> yep. in yeah. my in my career. Yeah. <laughs> feel like Sometimes I feel like it's just the thing you got to do, but it, it yeah. t- to me I don't really like the phrasing of kind of bouncing around here, really topical, but I don't really like the phrasing of code smell, but that's to me the do underscore whatever or the maybe underscore whatever. It's a it's a bit of a indicator to double check kind of what you're doing, but but I guess it circled all back if we had some kind of you know, editor type hinting or like, uh, you know, value hinting at that point, that'd be, I feel like that could be useful. That would be really useful. Yep. And that I just have to go with the COVID joke since I'm just getting over COVID. Like <laughs> after everybody has COVID, you have to pick a different thing than code smell. Cause nobody will be able to smell it. That is true. You can't or do, taste it or taste yeah. it. That's no right. Taste. No code taste. Yeah. What are we going to do with that human thing where, you know, we eat something we're like, this tastes like crap. Try it. They'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, this tastes like nothing. Yeah. Try it. <laughs> I'd still say, you know, you know what crap tastes like? Uh, I, I had a, I'll tell a story. I'm not going to say who it is, but I had a friend of mine, um, really close friend of mine that, uh, when we were in college, I used to always tell everybody when he, if he says something tastes like crap, he knows. And he always <laughs> regretted telling me the story, I guess when he was really little, uh, like, like under five, his cat had, uh, diarrhea and he, 
it was on the kitchen floor and he thought it was chocolate pudding and he put it in his mouth. I, he'll never listen to this podcast, but if he, I, I might send it to him and be like, can you please just listen? I, I told a story about you. Uh, I had to mute because I was hysterically laughing there. I have a very similar story with, uh, he'll never listen to this either. But uh, one of my good friends, I but it, it was with a, a uh, dog uh, leaving. He just thought it was like a brownie or something. Just took a bite. Oh. Oh. It's like Caddyshack. <laughs> it's a baby Ruth, guys. It's fine. I think we've just generated a new meme for the for the podcast. Perfect. Sure. Maybe maybe even a title for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> this tastes like crap. Whose crap? Whose crap is it, anyways? So you've also been like you talked about a language server too, but there's a little more to that language server stuff, right? Like you've been doing some something with Proclib, and I know that uh, Quinn and I talked the other day, and she said mm-hmm. that you guys had uh, done some pairing together on some stuff. Yeah, I on my flight back from a uh, work trip, I uh one thing, I mean, I'm really into like, you know, my shell and my terminal and Tmux and Vim and all this kind of stuff, so I just I just talk about and think about this stuff constantly, probably more than I should, but one thing with like cuz you know, we we've got our we've got our uh our linter that we all use credo generally. And the thing is with the way that that usually integrates with people's editors is that it literally just like, Oh, when you save the file, it just runs credo on that file. And then usually it'll display some kind of, you know, warnings or errors in your, in your editor. But um, it only displays it like, at least I use new of and the way it works is that it only, I think it only shows you the errors and stuff for like the buffers you have open rather than just like your entire code base. And in credo, a neat thing that it does is which I don't know if I just write code like this or I, I only work with people that write consistent code, but it has these consistency checks too. Like, oh, you name something like this usually, and you're differing here. You should make them consistent. I've never actually run into one of those errors <laughs> too too often, but um, that only works if you're running it on your whole code base. So I was like, well, uh, all the new editors are using this language server protocol thing instead of just doing like credo dash dash fly check and then. Like it prints it out in like a I don't even know what fly check is. I think it's an Emacs thing. But yep. um it uh so I was like, oh, I'll write a language server for Credo so that uh when you you know save a file, just run Credo in your whole code base and return back all the diagnostics for everything and show you show it show it to you everywhere. It'll work for like, oh, you have a whole bunch of you know io.inspect calls that you want to delete, and then it'll show you a warning you've got all these. Um so on the on my flight back. I kind of wrote one and, you know, in doing so, I, I realized, like, I, I looked at the Elixir language server source code for a lot of, you know, inspiration and and see how they, they did it. And there's a lot of weird stuff, not weird stuff, but it's like, in order to write a, a simple language server for Credo, I've got to write this whole standard IO, like, input-output thing to communicate with the editor and, you know, parsing these, like, HTTP-esque packets that come in and all that kind of stuff and it's just like a big hassle and then and then you kind of like got a I originally had something that looked like a plug router for like oh you get this request and or this notification and it goes to where and it just made me think like huh I wish I had something like a gen server but 
it was just for making a language server and like it'd be cool for anyone could just make their own language server for anything so i kind of put a pause on that credo language server and started you know uh, going down the rabbit hole and i need uh, i can't do that until i write an entire generic LS language server protocol library so okay. yeah i started working on this thing i'm calling gen lsp so it's like a uh, you know, it's a, beha- a process behavior, and it's very similar to like a gen server or a gen statum, like the state machine uh, Erlang behavior that also exists. But I wasn't really sure how to go ahead and implement it because I think a lot of things like a Phoenix channel and I think like a live view, they just kind of wrap a gen server, right? They start a real gen server, and then uh, the, you know they'll have a function that under the hood says gen server dot call. Then in their code, it has a handle call then in there they call your callback module for handle in or whatever but i knew that like a gen statum or a gen server was not implemented that way so i wanted to look into it and it turns out there's a library in otp called proclib and that's how gen server and um gen statum and it turns out task in elixir is actually implemented with proclib but so i just thought this was going to be this big crazy really hard thing to make like a otp compliant process that can be supervised and respond to like sys.getState and stuff like that. And turns out it's actually like super easy once you remember that a process is really just a function that's just recursing on itself over and over and over again. And then you just Mm -hmm. use this proclib library just to kind of just hook it in at several points and then it just all kind of works. And it's cool and you can just do whatever you want. So um that's nice. But yeah so I um I think Quinn has uh, made some language server stuff at a previous company, um, so she had knowledge of it, but she's working on, I think I referenced it earlier, this macro-based um, type checking library, and I kind of used it as an example to someone to, they were like, well, what would you build with this? So I said, oh, you can make like a language server that does the type checking and stuff based on, like for a typed DSL that you would write using her library. So um, the other day we um, got on Discord and just mostly as a test to see how well my library worked, um, mm-hmm. wrote a little language server and we we tweeted some, she tweeted some pictures of it. Yeah, but, so that looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, so in, uh, I think it's one of those things where I feel like I would just say like, yeah, in a couple hours we got this. I think it was actually like five hours. But yeah, it was, it was really cool. Just the... Kind of the interesting thing, though, to me, in a good way, was just most of the time had we were not we we're not futzing around with anything that had to do with the library, the Gen LSP library I wrote. It was all just actually trying to build the language server. Like, oh, we need to, you know, take the code from the file and uh, eval it, like run, get the type information on it, and that kind of stuff. And I think that's exactly what I wanted because the whole purpose of the library that spawned it was. Spawn uh-huh. was, um, <laughs> oh, you've got to futz around with all this, like, all this standard I.O. and all this kind of crap that is just, uh, that's not the point. I don't want to be messing with, also the LSP, uh, the spec is just kind of huge in this giant JSON RPC thing. And it's like, they've got a lot of stuff where something will be called like text document diagnostic info and then there'll be another thing that's called diagnostic info text document params. And they just like switch everything <laughs> around and it's like really confusing, but <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Very inconsistent there. But yeah, so like 
and I was what I thought was incredible just with the proc lib is that all the proc lib stuff to make the 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 process abstraction is it's really like I think the whole library is less than five hundred lines of code, and then luckily the the language server protocol has like a meta model. Well, that's just what it's called, but meta model dot json spec sheet that just able to use you know compile time elixir stuff to just generate. And that's that's another thing with the language server protocols that it's just this huge spec that's like really confusing. So another thing I did was you know use that protocol document to generate tons of structs and all their fields and then like the the structs like because it's weird and that it has nothing to do with TypeScript, but the whole JSON protocol is just has all these TypeScript types <laughs> as the as the thing, but it'll just say like, oh, this property is this other type. So then like if I generate a struct for that, then I can just say it's that and then when it parses it, it just but then you get and you're using the Elixir language server, you get really nice, you just type protocol dot and then you get all the requests like auto completed and then and if you like do the hover it shows you the documentation on it and then you know when you open the the curly brace to do the struct it gives you all the all the um field names property what what is a struct is it a property on a struct is that what the key is called doesn't matter call what um, you want <laughs> i have no Hold idea on. it's a uh it's a uh instance member <laughs> there you go. Exactly. We're gonna go. We're gonna go OOP on that. It's got M underscore. Um, <laughs> you gotta have Hungarian notation on it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, just like it's it's just nice because it's all the whole spec is generated for you and you just get the auto completion and it's just like the perfect storm of what I just like about Elixir. You just got all this great dev tooling and discoverability with the hex docs and all this kind of stuff. And it's just the perfect thing to nerd snipe me with. So where is your library? No, you're not you're not allowed to cough. That's my job today. <laughs> Once you get me talking, my throat just gets so dry. It is not open source yet. Um I was I think I normally I, I the very first thing I do is I type gh repo create in my terminal and I just create it before there's any code, but this time I actually just made it private. Um, but it's very close to just having everything. So then I'm, then I'm going to make it public and then I just wanted to make sure it was good to go. And then I'm going to use it to make that credo language server. And then hopefully that gets, um, merged into credo. That was another thing. It was like, I don't think the credo author wants all this like language server protocol, standard IO code just to be in the credo repository Mm. for no reason. Does he... Does does he necessarily want a whole other dependency in there either that he doesn't control? I I don't know, but not having a bunch of this random source code probably is uh increases the chances of getting it getting it merged in. But, but yeah, so like I think that would just be really cool because then like in my editor I can just say like when it's trying to detect like oh you have credo in your mix file, just then you can just assume that it has a mixed task called mixcredo.lsp and then just start it up and then you just got it in every single project. You don't need to like configure it or turn it off or on or anything like that. So is that something where you can run that alongside the Elixir language server or does it have to be like running in the same instance? Um, So these would be two completely separate things, I think. So another thing that's cool just about the Elixir language server is that it's a lot of it, I I think, well, 
I don't want to quantify how much, but um, some of it is powered by this uh, other library called Elixir Sense, um, which is made by Marlis, I believe. And that now has the concept, well, it kind of had an internal concept of plugins because you know how like it'll give you some autocomplete and stuff on Ecto. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just all internal and baked in. But now you can kind of have external plugins. So I'm not sure to the ex- exact scope of it all, but I know you can get like autocomplete and, and stuff like that with a Elixir Sense plugin. Um, so there's a chance that this could be have been implemented as an Elixir Sense plugin as well. But that's just another thing of like, I think right now to get that working, because I think uh, li- there's a library called Ash that has the first Elixir Sense plugin um, that's out right now. But you've got to also just then add Elixir Sense to your your project's depths, I think right now is a limitation. Mm-hmm. And it just, I don't know, it doesn't really need to be part of it. So. I think it's, it makes sense to kind of have it separate because then other some people don't like some people don't even like using the language server, which I think is totally fine. Um, I don't, out, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's um, like one of the first things I do on my editor is figure out how to set that up. <laughs> yeah, some people could just want to use Credo. Some people would not want to use Credo, and um, and that, that's the other thing. If you don't have Credo in the project, then yeah, I think it just would. I guess I don't know how I don't know how the um, I don't know how the Ecto plugin works either, but it's all great stuff. It's 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 all really cool. That's pretty neat. So what? So this was the first time you've used Brocklib? Mm-hmm. It, yep i I never heard of it, and then I just asked out. And I said, "How how do people do this?" And then they <laughs> said, "Oh yeah, there's a well documented library built into OTP. It's how you do it." Um. I'll say, as usual, the OTP documentation is, it's there, (laughs) and it's getting better, but sometimes it's like, because I think they also have this concept of things that are like more like guides, and then things that are more like module documentation, because the, I think that in the, in the proclib module doc, in function documentation, I think at a certain point, they just like, they kind of skip the part where they say, or they're like, okay, you need a like it doesn't need to be called this, but you need basically a function called loop, and then when you receive the message, like you need to call receive in there, and you get your message, and then when you're done, you know, messing with the message, you call loop again, and you recurse, right? <laughs> um, I they like that just was never stated. It's just like they had this loop. I'm like, is that? Is that like, are you supposed to do that? Like, it kind of skipped over that, but, and then there's, there's just a link in there that says like, sys and proclib something, and you click that, then that takes you to like an actual guide of like actually running you through exactly what you need to do. And, and it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to over or exaggerate it, but it's actually like so few lines of code, like, most of it is honestly like boilerplate. Like you just need to make sure you have a handle system function that literally just calls sys dot handle system, and you just like ferry the arguments straight over, like delegate to it, and you just do that stuff. And that stuff just allows like when you call like sys dot get state to, which I guess that's that's something that not a lot of people know about either i'll just I'll say like there's um in otp there's like this uh sys like sys module that's mostly just for debugging 
and like writing in your tests and stuff like that. And it's it's very useful. Like sys.get state will literally, if it's like an OTP kind of compliant process, it will just hand over all the state <laughs> exactly as it is. And it's also useful because if you like send an asynchronous message to a process and you're like, how do I, I don't want to use process.sleep. Well, if you send it sys.get state, by the time that's synchronous. So as soon as that returns, and it sent that message after your asynchronous process, then or your asynchronous message, then you know it's handled your the asynchronous mm-hmm. message. So that's like an, a way you can kind of like it's kind of like running await on an async thing. If like it doesn't always work, but anyway, sorry, your process needs to like have this OTP compliance kind of to it for that kind of stuff to work. And kind of what it does is it sends a message that's a tuple. First, first element in the tuple is like an atom of the word system, I think, and then then it has this bunch of other stuff, but then you just kind of like pass it on, and then it, and then there's like I think there's another one that's like handle something. I, I uh, for but, system um, handle debug and handle yeah. system message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All that kind of stuff in it. It just um, yeah. I just find it really really fascinating. And just how easy it is, and, and that you can just make your own. <laughs> like you can just re-implement <laughs> GenServer. GenSer- I mean, I'm sure GenServer has a bunch of like optimization and that kind of stuff into it, but you could very easily just make your own GenServer. Yeah, and uh, one of the things, the details that uh, the Gen processes in OTP. Mm-hmm don't talk about is there's this other module i don't know that it's documented as the public api but it's called gen um and it's just about implementing some of the things that you know gen event gen server gen uh fsm gen statem all of those things that come with the otp mm-hmm. that they that they implement and most of it's about well give me a wrapper around this message that i'm sending mm-hmm. so that it can be pattern matched with the same same thing in every mm-hmm implementation of this and uh you know stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah i think when i was i was like oh this is how gen server is implemented i'm gonna go check out all the source code for gen server and then i would see and i'm still not very good at reading erlang code (laughs) i really only do it when i'm like source diving otp but it's like i gotta figure out how this works and then and then it goes to like i'm like oh i found it and then yeah just calling that gen module and i was like I, right. I gotta find to go see what that does yeah i don't think i don't think the gen module is doc is in the documents i like it's not in the public documentation yeah. no. you gotta like yeah i'm not seeing it here i'm just seeing gen server gen fsm gen tcp gen udp gen sctp gen event gen statum there's a lot of gens and what's cool is that then you get to write a module or a library that is called gen underscore something, and then you just feel really cool, right? <laughs> You've made it at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. Like it almost it almost feels as cool as being able to like like I mean, you, I think you got to work a dash bit to do this, but like if you make a library, it's called nimble something. It's just like that'd be awesome. There you go, nimble gen nimble language server protocol exactly. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Yeah, or if you're in the .NET ecospace, everything has to be iron something. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, it's hardened, right? It's yeah. like metal. It's kind of rust, too, though, right? Ferrous, rusty metal. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's uh, 
like that sort of pattern of naming things in in the Rust ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Maybe they put crabs on there or something for the mm -hmm. uh, station. Is, yeah, is, there, is there something in the Rust ecosystem called thermite? There's got to be. Thermite, maybe there should be. If there's not, Race. you should make that something. Thermite. It's a toy browser engine. 818 oh, downloads. Yeah. There you go. Real popular. Yeah. Production <laughs> production quality. I think you production could, ready. You could download this. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I know that. Uh, man, I can't even think. I'm so like <laughs> sick and full of medicine right now that I can't even think. Uh, Sean had had a hard stop at three, and I think I do too. So yeah. Well, it's 3.54 p.m. right now. Like, you guys are so late. No. We, <laughs> so the only time zone there really is is central time. Uh, I think half the country is on eastern time, though. So. Well, but they're wrong. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Mitch. And yeah. uh, uh, for, for our listeners, where can they find your stuff? Oh, quite a few places. Uh, you can find my my blog at mitchellhanberg.com. I have so many permutations of how I spell my name everywhere, but Mitchell with the ELL handberg.com. And then on Twitter, I'm Mitch Hanberg. And then on GitHub, I'm M Hanberg. And I should say, I think I need to clear this up for some people. My name is Mitch, but on Twitter, I constantly change my name to random stuff. And I have a college <laughs> nickname, of Mach, which is completely random. There's no meaning behind it. But I just changed my Twitter name to random, random puns on the word Mach. And I think some people thought my name was actually Mach, but it's not. My name is just Mitch. Can we call you Mach? You can call me whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th thanks again well, for having great. me. Yeah, thanks for thanks coming. Thanks for coming on. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yep. See you. All right, have a good day. Bye.